On today's show, the Cavs start 2024-0-1. We'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit at the end about how the Knicks-Raptors trade affects the East standings. That's all on today's Locked On Cavs for Tuesday, January 2nd. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Welcome to 2024. Welcome to Locked on Cavs. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerel. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always, for his work on production. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That is $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com backslash locked on today to get started. All right, we're going to go Cavs-Raptors big takeaway in segment one. We're going to go game awards in segment two. And then we're going to talk about the seeding standings, competitive enough the East impact from the Knicks-Raptors trade that we saw. Um, if you want more on those trades, check out Locked on Raptors with Sean Woodley. Check out the Locked on Knicks guys if you want more on that trade. Locked on NBA as well. We have you covered on every angle here at Locked on. Cavs lose to the Raptors 124-101. to Karis LeVert leads the Cavs in scoring. Donovan Mitchell chips in. Three other players with 16. Pascal Siakam, the highest scorer in this game with 36. Evan, what is your big takeaway from Cavs-Raptors? Defensively, this is just not a good performance for Cleveland whatsoever. Um, You you had noted this, but I agree with the sentiment. Giving up, oh my gosh, um, I don't know, almost 80 plus 90 plus points through the first three quarters is just not an optimal strategy. I think coming out kind of flat and trying to go shot for shot with the Raptors who aren't great this season. They are 12 and 20 on the year now, uh, have a losing record at home, whereas Cleveland is uh, technically above 500 and has a winning record on the road. Like just wasn't good. But I think in this one, it's kind of been indicative of, of quite a few games lately for Cleveland. Um, Max Strus just isn't giving them enough offensive juice just to kind of maybe counterbalance some of the lack of offensive firepower without Darius Garland, without Evan Mobley out there. Um, I think, sure, you got a stellar, stellar performance from Karis LeVert off the bench. I think Sam Merrill really stepped up for the Cavs in this game. But like Strus just was not really able to get much going for the Cavs. And I had noticed this in the past, like even if his shot wasn't falling, he was making the extra play in terms of just playmaking and that could be the hockey assist or a regular assist or crashing the glass and maybe giving Cleveland a second chance opportunity because of the offensive rebounds that he's able to kind of gin up and I wonder if maybe the offensive rebounding is more of a product of playing with both Mobley and Allen but who knows but I've just noticed like Struess has been a little bit flat and for a team like Cleveland who is already struggling enough to find offensive consistency you, you need more from guys like that. I mean, I think, yeah, I think part of it is he's not making shots. We'll get into the offensive rebounding thing because there's a there's some stuff in there that I think does pop. I, I think for me, it does just come down to the defense is just in a weird spot right now. And I think this is the way they do need to play to some degree. I mean, I, I don't even hate the fact. I, I kind of respect the fact that they go to the start of the fourth quarter when they're very much still in this game. We're really till the end of it. They go Mitchell, Struess, Merrill, Niang, Tristan Thompson. That is space that is Donovan Mitchell's got the ball in his hands that is saying we know what we are right now we understand what our personnel is it's 
it's not very many good defenders. I mean, it's it's at best like two solid enough defenders, and Yang and Mitchell and Merrill are are guys you can attack. And that's kind of just how you have to play right now. And the defense just isn't equipped. I mean, even in this run when they're, I think they've won decently, they've had some good performances. The defense for Cleveland over this stretch hasn't been particularly good. That just makes sense to me based on the roster. They've had a couple good defensive games. Um, in the Milwaukee game, it rated out actually okay. It rated out well against Dallas. It rated out well against Chicago. Then they've had some bad ones. And this one is going to fall more in line with the bad ones. But that, to me, makes a lot of sense with this roster. I think it's just... It's not... It's just you, could, you didn't have the gear more than anything else. I don't think this team right now is capable of wholehearted monster defensive performance. I don't think this team is capable of the peak. Without Evan Mobley, this team is not capable of the best defense it possibly can be, which is what led them to a ton of success last year. What they are capable of, you would hope, is just enough defensive stops here and there. And then this game, you couldn't do it. This game, it just wasn't really an option. And then there's some other stuff we can get into, but that's the core of this. The defense has its moments, but they weren't ultimately in this game, I think, able to get just enough stops particularly early when they gave up 41 points the first quarter and never really dig themselves out of that hole permanently. Do you think that's more of an understated appreciation of how valuable Evan Mobley is to this defense or just maybe the Cavs are in a bit of a funk um, just because they are missing Garland and Mobley maybe to kind of counterbalance things. But like like you said, like it, it did gin out okay against Milwaukee, Dallas, Chicago, uh, two wins and a loss for Cleveland on this recent stretch. But uh, I do wonder if like, it does certainly crystallize the fact that the Cavs are missing their most important defender and arguably their most important player out there. While you're still getting pretty solid effort from Jared Allen and the guys like Okoro has been huge in this stretch with all the Cavs being so banged up. But I, I want to pass it back to you. Like, do you think that's just more indicative of just the fact that the Cavs really do hope and pray that if they are the praying type that Evan Mobley is back healthy and just, isn't unavailable down the stretch of the season when he is back. I mean, I think you can't play defense at the level they want to without Evan Mobley. They're 10th in defense on the year. It's not quite where it was last year but it, when it was first, but it is 10th. It's, it's gotten to a back above better than league average. But I think with no Mobley, and, and on top of the personnel changes you made going into the summer to skew more offensive heavy, I think that's where you end up with where this unit is. I think that that's... That's certainly part of it. Mobley allows Jared Allen to protect the rim because he, he eats up so much space. He closes things off. He kind of denies easy rolls at times. That You just can't replace that. George Dang does not intimidate people. Dean Wade, when he plays, does not intimidate people. They don't have a single other defender on this roster, aside from Evan Mobley, who can be a deterrent in that way. So your whole defensive scheme now does just look different. That's not new, but it shows up in this game. One other thing I want to hit on from a takeaway from this game that I thought really cost them uh, just to play-wise, we won't get to it otherwise, so it's good to bring it up here, I think. I hated mm-hmm. the Donovan Mitchell 3 with 18 seconds left. I uh, absolutely, It was, it was this questionable, was, sure. So, so there's a, you have A, you have timeouts. B, you have time. And you took a rush three-pointer that you weren't even close to, and then you have to play the foul game the rest of the way. The strategy there, whether that was what was called for, you know, we're not in Toronto, I haven't seen what they said post-game about it. I just thought that that's about the worst outcome you could possibly get in that moment. You have the time, you've had all this fight to get back into the game, and that's the shot you get. That That is, I think, disappointing process if you're looking at how they ultimately lose this game. You did all this work to get back in the game, 
And that's where you end up to me. To me, that's disappointing for Mitchell. That's disappointing from the Cavs. Oh, it's first. I can understand the thought process just because, like you said, you, you fight all the way back into the game and you put the ball in the hands of your best player, your best offensive player overall. Um, and you say, okay, Donovan, these are the moments we brought you in for because we need you to just go out and win this game for us. Like, yeah, I understand that thought process and maybe thought process, excuse me, and that sentiment. But like you said, it's just a terrible shot just because it was so early in the shot clock. You still had t- a timeout left. Like if you weren't quite getting what the de- or you're hoping the defense is going to give you, you use that timeout to maybe re- re- readjust, redraw things and kind of figure out where things can kind of go from here. And it, it just felt a little rushed. It felt a little forced. And I-, I agree. Like it was just not a great way to manage things, especially when you fought all the way back into this game. And yeah, it just kind of like a, just a wet fart noise when you watch that shot go up and in and you're like, all right, this one's over. So yeah, it's just a, I don't know, a waste of resources that you had available to you. Ultimately, I think a frustrating loss for Cleveland. I, the only thing I will say in defense is, um, as far as energy bringing to a game goes, that Toronto just lost to the Pistons and ended that where that were the back end of that losing streak over. And this was the, de- the debuts of Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett. They were going to have, I think, some really organic energy to A, make up for that last performance, and B, those new guys bring in. You always get a little bump. It's like the new coach bump. It's the new player bump. You get a little extra energy, and the Cavs just weren't sharp enough in any way to overcome that. All right, after this, let's go to Game Awards. That's MVP, Stat of the Night, Play of the Night. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up. Just one week left, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. So you can bet on Browns Bengals. You can look at Kevin Stefanski, Coach of the Year, Miles Garrett, Defensive Player of the Year. They have Cavs stuff all over the place, including games this week against the Wizards twice and the Spurs. Some could be some stuff there for that you could like. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. You can find bets in their new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet. I'll let FanDuel official partner of the NFL and official sportsbook of Lockdown. Again, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when you place a $5 bet. Our game awards. Evan, I, I think Levert's the MVP. Uh, I think considering for me that he had 31, he was 12-20 from the field, 5-5 from the line, 4 assists, 0 turnovers. Like His scoring at times bridged them in spots where Mitchell wasn't totally overwhelming and he was just a, he was a little more efficient overall um I, I just give the edge to him and he also just i mean he didn't take the the, the bad shot that we just talked about so karis levert yeah uh, the bad shot certainly helps karis levert's case over donovan mitchell um I talked a little bit about Max Drews in the first segment. The, the Cavs have been a much bigger goal for, I think, Karis LeVert didn't step up the way he did. Ditto for Sam Merrill. I think Sam Merrill played very well in this game as well. Um, at least just showing signs that the wrist injury was kind of just maybe, uh, it could be something worth keeping an eye on, but maybe not as big of a concern going forward. Um, Let me but, ask you this about Sam Merrill before you do MVP. Should he just play? Like, should he just, yeah. should you just give him a run even when you're a little more healthy just for the shooting? Like, he played ahead of, like, Dean Wade didn't see the 
like played uh, Dingley played 20 minutes, didn't feel like he played a single lick. I felt Sam Merrill 16 minutes in this game by comparison. I yeah. So when it comes to like Sam Merrill or Craig Porter Jr., who has been kind of a dude like against the Bucks uh, as recent example, like the, the Cavs kind of clawed their way back into the game when Craig Porter Jr. just gave them a little bit of juice off the bench. I think whether it's him, uh, Merrill, Dean Wade, um, just guys of that vein, like, yeah, you give them a little bit of run. If they have the hot hand, you run with it. And I think JB has shown a comfort and uh, at least just trust factor when it comes to players and trusting the hot hand a little bit. And I think that has led to more opportunities, injuries too, for like Sam Merrill and um, CPJ as well. But like, like you said, like, yeah, you felt Sam Merrill's like impact minutes and scoring. And like, there was just moments where, momentum kind of swang back into Cleveland's favor because Sam Merrill just hit one of those big, like, I don't want to say backbreaking, but at least tide shifting three pointers that they were just so desperately needing because Struis wasn't able to get it going. And like Mitchell, despite his high scoring numbers, wasn't like hyper, hyper efficient. But yeah, like the, the bench unit just stepped up big time for the Cavs when they kind of needed some type of spark because Pascal Siakam was lights out. Um, Jakob Pertl played well. Scotty Barnes was phenomenal in this game. Quickly, Schroeder, like the, and then even RJ Barrett had five fouls. Like the, the the Raptors got a lot from seven guys, and the Cavs just had to reach elsewhere. And yeah, Merrill is just like that dude. Like if he just has it going, like we'll just let him keep rocking and rolling because there's a lot of sameness that you can run with him that you do with Max Struess that can get you similar results for your other guys. And if, like I said, Merrill has it going, it would be remiss of you not to play him. So who's your, who's your MVP pick? If mine's Kurt Silver. Uh, mine's actually Isaac Okoro. I think Okoro just played really, really well in this game. I've noticed like as of late, he has really stepped up as a, the starting three technically speaking with Struce of the two in this game or just in general with Garland out um but Okoro is just really impactful for this one sure he only went 0-4 from three-point range but the fact that he took them is great I think the fact that he used his aggressiveness and physicality to the line seven separate seven separate times and he went six of four from the charity stripe is impactful too uh 16 points three assists two steals a block in this game like sure he had the lowest plus minus out of everyone on the floor at minus 18 but he also just was giving the Cavs a little bit of spark and a little bit of that edge and has just been stepping up as of late. And this was just a performance to me that really stood out. He's got to make threes, I think, for me to, to get MVP yeah. consideration in this one. Just 0-4 from three, including two just bad, bad bricks is, is tough. All right, stat of the night for me. Cavs had an offensive rebounding rate of 17.9%. That is much, much lower than they've had in their wins of late. If you go, it, it, this doesn't explain everything. But if you look at the games they've won of late and look at the games they've lost, they have offensive rebounded well in the games they have won, and they have not in the games that they've lost. Uh, they pulled down six offensive rebounds, had that rate. Raptors had 10 offensive rebounds. That, that's, it's not the whole thing again, but it's been an indicator lately is when the Cavs get second chance points, they get offensive rebounds, they win games. Didn't happen tonight. Evan, what's your stat? Uh, Mine is the fact that the Raptors shot free throws and this isn't going to be like one of those games where the refs are out to get the calves or i'm going to say anything like that it's just more so kind of indicative i think to me of like that's that statistic you noted in the first second just how many points the calves gave up in the third quarter and how like defensively like they haven't been great as of late especially without mobley out there and i think just like a rare skill set that this calves team really possesses especially when jared allen and evan mobley are sharing the floor together or just one of them is playing individually is they can defend really well in the interior without fouling or just defend really well, period, without fouling. Like, sure, you might see Isaac Coro a lot sometimes, but other than that, like, the, the Cavs don't really seemingly give up a ton of opportunities at the charity stripe. And 
I mean, the fact that Toronto went 29 of 40 is insane to think that they had that many free points that they left at the free throw line. But more so the fact that like the, the Cavs just were giving up so many constant opportunities and whether that was the fact that you saw Jared Allen in foul trouble this game with four fouls or Donovan Mitchell with four fouls or Max Struess with four fouls or even Dean Wade is forced to play center at times and he had two fouls in this game. Like, or even Tristan Thompson who had three or George Yang who also got minutes at center had five. Like, the Raptors just put constant pressure on the rim at the Cavs and the Cavs were forced to foul because they didn't want really to give up an easy shot opportunity and you saw 40 trips to the line. And I, I wonder if there's maybe a correlation there just some of the defense we've seen. What is your play of the night? Um, play of the night for me is um, just like Sam Merrill hitting like close to a half court shot early into the second quarter. Like it was like in the bank of Scotiabank for the arena, but like that dude's got some range and you know, I like to tease Jackson Flickinger. I know you do too, but he was always beating the Sam Merrill drum. But like you asked it a very valid question. Like should Merrill just play in like moments like that? You say, yeah, he absolutely should just play for the Cavs because he gives them a valuable commodity and he's such a low usage player. And like he can hit those big shots that just really swing momentum back in your favor. Yeah, the problem with Merrill is I think the moment you get him against a team with big wings, he's going to get hunted. Oh, and then he's going to get hunted it's, it's, it's and roasted. That's that's the yeah, issue. Like, it's yeah. a double-edged thing. Yeah, he's. You can, I don't think that's a 16-game playoff guy. Uh, my place, it's the Sam Merrill three. I just the quick trigger he has, the 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 freedom he has to just shoot it, um, is pretty remarkable that he did this late in the third quarter. He just catches it. Let's it fly. There's no one else on this roster that is really, really capable of that. Um, if you want to look at other ones, as far as just like not just only picking the same one, Karis Levert, about 5.30 left in the quarter, gets through a trap, gets one-on-one in Siakam, dribbles, 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 step back three. Not the prettiest. I'm not going to tell you. It's like the, the encapsulation of modern basketball, but Karis Levert making that three, putting them up one at that time. Pretty composed, pretty big. They need him to do that stuff, particularly while Garland's out. So we'll give Lavert some shine for that too. Our right, coming up next, Knicks made a trade. We're not going to talk so much about the Mitchell part of it. We're going to do a whole episode on what Mitchell is right now, our next episode. But what does this mean for the standings in the East? What does it mean for the Cavs who are trying to remain in the top six of these? Let's talk about it after this. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest DFS platform in North America. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It is just you versus the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you just pick more or less than on two to six players, stat projections, and watch the winnings roll in. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. That is a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For instance, you go LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a combo of 10.5 three-pointers made and receptions. Prize Picks also allows you to play alongside, alongside some of their favorite players, including the rapper Meek Mill and the comedian Andrew Saltz. You can do that under the Community tab. Go to prizepicks.com backslash LockedInNBA and use code LockedInNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com backslash LockedInNBA and code LockedInNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePicks, daily fantasy sports made easy. So 
as far as this trade goes, OG Anobi to the Knicks, Precious Achua to the Knicks, Malachi Flynn to the Knicks, uh, Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett to Toronto. I think with Toronto is not so much a factor in this to me, Evan, just because I think Siakam, it seems like, is going to be traded next. And then they're they're not particularly like good as it is. They're they're twelfth in the East right now. Um, you know they did just beat the Cavs, who are now who have fallen now to eighth um, in the standings live. But they're twelfth. They're thirteen and a half games back. The Cavs are eight and a half back of first place. Here's just I'm going to run through the standings in the East, and then we can talk about where the Cavs fit in this and what this means for the competitiveness of it. Celtics are first, twenty six and six. Boston's tw- Milwaukee, excuse me, is twenty four and eight. Philly is twenty two and ten. Miami is 19 and 13. Orlando is 19 and 13. Indiana, 17 and 14. Knicks, 18 and 15. The Cavs, 18 and 15. And then you drop down into, uh, I think, another tier of teams. But that top eight is really competitive. Obviously, top six, only ones that don't have to go through the playing tournament. Evan, when I look at this, when I look at this OG trade, I already it was already very clear to me that it was going to be hard for the Cavs to get fully into the top six. I don't think it's a lock that they do based on what we've seen from them so far this year and how this is shaken out. I do think as much as I don't know exactly how I feel about this trade for the Knicks, OG does just is another guy that's going to make it hard to match up against the Knicks. We'll make the Knicks more competitive in some ways. I think it, I think there's a real tough sledding ahead here for the Cavs who just find a way to break through to that top six and compete against teams like the Knicks, like the Pacers, like the Magic, like the Heat. Yeah, so... I might be higher on this trade than most people, but when you look at just what New York is getting compared to what they were getting from RJ Barrett, it's an upgrade in the sense that sure, neither player between RJ Barrett or OG Ananobi can like reliably dribble the basketball, like drive to the basket, just like as a primary ball handler. But if you're the Knicks, you have Jalen Brunson, um, Josh Hart, um, others on this team that can provide you that. So it's not like a huge, huge pressing need at the small forward position. But for me, Ananobi is just a much better uh, perimeter defender. I think his help defense is criminally underrated, and I am fascinated to see what Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks kind of get out of him as just like a team that really is comfortable with grinding it out, and I think he just kind of fits that mold of like a Thibodeau-type player, but more so offensively. like He just shoots and, and makes three-pointers at a much higher clip than R.J. Barrett ever did, and that is an upgrade for a team like New York, that can have shooters across the roster. Sure, they don't have Mitchell Robinson, and they're leaning more, on, leaning more on Isaiah Hartenstein going forward. But for a team like the Knicks that is nipping at the heels of Cleveland, who, as you said, had just fallen to eighth place after this loss to Toronto, um, and like just look at the Cavs, who are kind of like in this weird pool with the Heat, the Magic, the Pacers, that include New York in this mix as well, too. Um, just trying to find a way to climb the summit and maybe either avoid either the Celtics and the Bucks in the playoffs and maybe sneak into the conference finals. If this makes it harder for you. Um, I think just Anobi is a really good upgrade for New York, just in the sense of like the three point shooting and just like maybe what Tibbs can get out of him defensively and kind of what the Knicks can become defensively with Anobi. I'm not saying like he's a superstar, but like it was a power move that was big enough for the Knicks to at least create a little bit more distance between just like this weird mix of teams, whether it's Cleveland, Miami, Indiana, Orlando, um, just to kind of maybe separate themselves from the rest of the pack and just maybe make it a little bit easier for them breathing room wise as they kind of head into this second half of the season as most teams are kind of getting close to that 40 game mark already. I think it's just also just telling of where the Cavs are at. I think more than like, like again, you people who go check out Locked on Knicks if they want the Knicks now. So you can go check all the other shows. But I think from the Cavs point of view here, they entered this game 18 and 14. 
Okay, now they're 18 and 15. Eight and a half back of Boston. And now they're a game and a half behind Miami and Orlando. That does, on one hand, I look at that and say, this doesn't feel like a terrible place to be considering how bizarre and odd and weird and un, I think underwhelming their season so far has been. Okay. They're also just not rating out nearly as good. And you can, you can point out a ton of reasons why people can do that. I, that that's all valid. They're all valid. Context is valid. But they're 19th in net. They came into this game 19th in net rating, 22nd in offense, and 9th in defense. They have a, the profile of a team that, won, that will win 44.4 games right now. Last year, not that long ago, but last season, finished the regular season second in net rating, only Boston was better, seventh in offense, and first in defense. That cast, he made a profile of a, 22, of a 55 win team. This team just isn't as good as last year's version, it feels like. Again, Darius Garland has missed time. Evan Mobley has missed time. You've had these new pieces. I get it. But this just doesn't feel like as nearly rock solid of a group overall. And if I'm projecting this and saying, okay, should I feel confident as we start 2024 that they are going to make a push and I should feel good about them being a top six team? I would not. If I'm looking right now, if I had to say who I think, who, who it feels like the momentum would, would lead me to think is going to be the seven and eight and be in the playing tournament, it might be Cleveland and Indiana. And I'm not saying that's a lock. You'll get Garland back. You'll get Mobley back. Other things will happen. But the Cavs have something to prove amid this group. And these other teams just have felt, to me, a little more rocks off this year. And the Knicks go get OG. And maybe there's another trade for them. I, I don't know. But the Cavs, I think, are fighting an uphill battle a little bit. And it's going to, at the very, very least, if they get there, it's going to be an absolute slog for them to get to like the sixth or the fifth seed and still have a very hard path to, to get higher in the playoffs. I mean, Joe Flacco ain't walking through that door to save their season. So, yeah, like you said, context does matter um, when breaking this down and the Cavs just kind of have come out flat. I, I do think injuries just constantly hitting them at the most inopportune times have more than played a part in it. But they just they, there's a lot of sameness in terms of just like what the eye test is telling you in terms of just like what they can produce offensively or just the lack of defense lately. Um, and it, it just feels like the wind that they are trying to get in their sails just never fully blows them to shore. And they're just kind of drifting lost at sea right now. And sure we can look at this on a game by game basis. But the fact that there are only a handful of games over 500 at this point of the year, like that, that's disappointing if you're the Cavs injuries or not. And I think there's a right to be frustrated if you're a fan, just considering like they do have Donovan Mitchell, they do have Jared Allen. Uh, Mitchell's came off an All NBA season last year. Allen is a All Star caliber big man, um, and we've seen him step up quite a bit when the Cavs need him to. But they just can't seemingly struggle together consistency that play means impactful, tangible, impactful basketball. And sure, when they get Garland back, hopefully. There's an update within the next two weeks because we'd be hitting that sweet spot of like that four week initial window of post op for his uh, jaw surgery. And then soon after you get back, Evan Mobley and the Cavs are able to put together a bit of a stretch run that gives Garland and Mobley the luxury and the grace to get healthy before like they have to really like lean on them heavier and heavier. But it's just been a little bit disappointing. I wonder what the general mood is inside that locker room. I don't think publicly you're ever going to hear 
like oh the, the everything's falling apart and i think that that's the right way to handle things and i think it's impressive that they're able to kind of maintain that composure consistently but yeah like if you're the Cavs and you're trying to just find some consistency and maybe separate yourself from this group between orlando indiana new york miami uh philadelphia as well who is like that weird team that's like on the precipice on the precipice of things with milwaukee and boston too but um you have to just kind of throw up your hands and say come on man if you're the Cavs, just because like what was already tough enough as is isn't going to get any easier because new york got a piece that does make them better on paper and i think will make them better with time as this trade just kind of we get further and further away from this trade and we'll see what kobe Altman and company have up their sleeves it's been widely reported at this point that like the, the Cavs are looking to move ricky rubio and find a way to just like something of value to put in that roster spot that's being occupied by rubio not being here and maybe they move on from ty jerome and damian jones which were misses clearly just because jerome hasn't played since the home opener against the oklahoma city Thunder. well i mean he got he also got hurt that i mean i yeah. I, I i know but hurt. like if you but if you're a team like cleveland like you're trying your best to get him back on the court and let him be healthy but also you can't afford sometimes to maybe wait all season for a guy who could be providing you just like a little bit more juice at times when you are missing key players at the top and these are the trials and tribulations of top heavy teams like cleveland that they have to deal with and i am curious to see with you know about a little bit over a month to go until the trade deadline like what moves do the Cavs have up their sleeves to maybe kind of counterbalance what new york did now obviously like the Cavs are in a much different spot than the knicks are in terms of assets but that i wonder if there's a move in kobe altman's sleeve that he could make just to kind of keep them in the race and maybe keep them out of that play and tournament path that they seem to be heading on. Last thing I'll say that is somewhat positive. If you're looking at <laughs> short-term optimism this week, you get the wizards twice and you get the Spurs. Those are two of the absolute worst teams in the NBA. So if you're saying, Hey, can we build, can we get it? Can we get home? Can we just be at home for a couple days before we go to Paris? Can we have some normalcy and play some bad teams and maybe build some good habits and get a chance to just be settled for a couple days? There, to me, there might be something to just let's see what these couple things do. And to their credit, I think for overall, by and large, even in this loss, there is something gritty. There is something about the way they are playing to me that is would give me some optimism internally about just where things could go if you get healthy and you can just get things to break right. But they do need things to break right, and they just need to win some games. And if you're saying, hey, end of the year, can we look back at a stretch where maybe things went right and we helped us get a top six seed in the East? I think beating the Wizards and twice and then beating the Spurs would, would go a long way, even if you aren't at full strength. Those teams are not good. It's, it's, it's time to clean up and, and take care of some business, I think, for the Cleveland Cavaliers coming back. Omar, that's going to be it for today's Lockdown Cavs. Back tomorrow, we're going to do a What is Donovan Mitchell 2024 episode, his future, the latest reporting about the Cavs maybe, I mean, not being willing to trade him or entertain offers at this point. There's a lot to discuss with Mitchell, so we'll do that episode up next week, and then obviously more games to come all week long. I'm Chris Manning. That's been Evan Darrell. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always. Check out Locked on Knicks. Check out Locked on Raptors. Check out Locked on NBA for more coverage of the OGN and OB trade. Talk to y'all later this week.